0: Go. Oh, man. I was going to do a goddamn Bohemian Rhapsody thing, but it's too late now. Um, Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. (laughs) He's got a little podcast of a man or some shit. I I fucked it up. All right. So, uh, yeah, of course, we're doing Bohemian Rhapsody. You should probably write this stuff down in advance if you're going to do it. Yeah, of course. And uh, so, yeah, we're... (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody, with uh, directed by by our favorite guy Brian Singer. Yeah, I, I
1: struggled with this when I first heard it was coming out, and found out that he was involved. Yeah, and it doesn't
0: say how far into the film, into the directing that he got fired from the project. Eighty percent. Okay, and then uh, a guy named uh, Dex- Dexter Fletcher who has an executive producer credit on the film because of DGA standards or rules or some shit. Yeah. Because
1: Singer had X amount of time filming it, and yeah. then when they um, when they uh, replaced Brian Singer, even though um, he was off the film, and then he replaced him, yeah. the same thing with uh, Rogue One, and the same thing with a couple of other movies, uh, they still get the credit for it.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so uh, you know, good for Brian Singer because now he doesn't have to promote the film, you know, travel around. Instead, he has time to party with young boys more now. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, all right, so let's uh let's just uh get right up into this uh Rhapsody here. All right, so in nineteen seventy use his stage name. Okay fucking stupid Farouk balsara. <laughs> All right, so uh Freddie Mercury, an Indian British uh, Parsi college student and baggage handler at the Heathrow Airport, goes to a nightclub to watch a local band called Smile. After the show, he meets guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor, and offers to be the band's new lead vocalist after bassist/slash vocalist Tim Staffel or Staffel quits to join Staffel H- or that as well. <laughs> it's Tim Staffel to join Humpy Bong with the addition of bassist John Deacon, the band now known as Queen plays at local gigs across Britain until they sell their van to produce their their debut album. Their musical style lands them a contract with EMI Records at the same time. Uh, Mercury legally changes his name to Freddie Mercury. God damn it. To Freddie Mercury and becomes engaged to Biba store clerk Mary Austin. During the band's U.S. tour, Freddie begins to question his sexuality. Don't continue. Hold on a second. Yeah.
1: So that entire first part. Yeah. Uh, if you know anything about the band or if you've done any research, you've seen the movie.
0: Read a few articles afterwards.
1: So Freddie Mercury was friends with Tim. They went to school together. Uh huh. And... Freddie has known everybody in the band since, since basically the band started, okay? Yeah. Uh, at least in college. So this is the one thing that – this is one of the things that they left out. Tim and Freddie were really good friends. Yeah. Okay? And Tim Tim didn't leave the band when they were s- sitting out back one night. Tim yeah. was talking with Brian and Roger and said, hey, I'm thinking about leaving the band blah, 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 we we're going nowhere, yada, yada, yada. But you should listen to Freddie sing. We all know Freddie. You should have him sing for for us because he's a better singer than I am. Yeah. And then find another bassist. And I think Deacon was also friends with the band, and they just said, hey, we want to join the band, right? Yeah. So Freddie would always go and see Tim play with his band, Smile, because, because like I said, they went to the same school, they hung out with the same crowds and Freddie really liked the band.
0: Yeah, they didn't make it look like in the movie where um, he just, uh, you know, comes across them. Right. And then he's this this fucking unique discovery, right? Right. All
1: Hollywood style, right? Right. And so, and that's, yeah. so there's there's a couple of things about this movie that um, should have been properly done, but instead they went for the Hollywood style. And this is, this always bugged me about Brian Singer movies. Yeah. Um, is, he's lazy. The This is lazy. Uh-huh. You know, and and, and I blame Queen, too, because Queen was, the, they're the fucking people that finance this goddamn Yeah, wasn't
0: movie. it? May and Taylor were the creative consultants on the film, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. but It's almost like they were spiteful towards Stafel, or Staffel. No, they weren't spiteful. They they were just, it was just lazy writing. And glitz and
1: glamour. Yeah, were, they they were going more for they are going more for the, the story than, than the internal, you know. Yeah. They, they wanted to make it, they didn't want to make it, like, super long, mm-hmm. so they had to kind of excise some of the stuff. And I understand that, but when, when you're telling a story and the story starts like that, but really it didn't happen like that. Yeah.
0: They made Staffel look like he was a prima donna asshole that
1: fucking just blew out of the band
0: Well, in the movie.
1: No, nah, I don't think they did. I mean, he, he said he was joining a band. That's not really prima donna. It
0: seemed like he was, like, full of himself. They made him look like he was full of himself in the movie. That's the impression I got. You know, whatever. I, I didn't get that. Maybe. I mean. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm better than what you guys can offer kind of thing. It, probably, yeah. But, um,
1: you know, and, and that, that leads me to the next thing is when Freddie gets on stage with them and they're doing, um, oh, what the fuck is that song? really like that song.
0: Killer Queen? No.
1: They didn't sing "Killer Queen" at that smile. Thing. Oh, okay.
0: Oh yes, yes, yes. It was I, like "Tie Your Mother Down," but it wasn't "Tie Your Mother Down." Okay. Shit, I can't remember what was. Because he put his own little spin on it, and it just grabbed everybody's attention. And the band's trying to tell him to calm the fuck down. Because <laughs> it was a cover song, wasn't it?
1: No. Keep yourself alive. That was a song. Okay. So they were singing "Keep Yourself Alive." And Brian said, that's not the fucking words. Sing the words to the song. Yeah. And that was and, and the way that Freddie, uh, Freddie basically rearranged the words on the song and sang it the way it is that you heard on the album. Uh, I'm reading this. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian May wrote the song after the band had been formed, but before John Deacon joined, as confirmed by Barry Mitchell, who was an, a former bass player. According to what May said in a radio special, News of the World, he had penned the lyrics thinking of them as ironic and tongue-in-cheek, but their sense was completely changed when Freddie Mercury sang them. Roger Taylor and May sing the vocal bridge of the song. So when you're watching the movie and they do keep yourself alive, it, it was it's a fantastic fucking set. Um, the the way that they did everything,
0: uh,
1: I, I thought it was great. I mean, uh, emotionally I was pulled in, but I've always been a Queen fan, so... Uh, you know. This
0: made me a bigger Queen fan.
1: Yeah. Um all right, go ahead and continue on with that.
0: So um yeah, so in 1975, Queen records their, their fourth album, A Night at the Opera, but they leave at EMI when executive Ray Foster refuses to have the six-minute song Bohemian Rhapsody released as the album's first single. Freddie has Capital Radio DJ Kenny Everett debut the song on the airwaves. Despite mixed reviews, Bohemian Rhapsody becomes a smash hit. Shortly after the band's world tour, Freddie begins an affair with Paul Prenter, his personal manager, and Mary breaks up with Freddie when he comes out to her as bisexual, although she assures him that he is gay. Yeah. So that, yeah. And again, I still
1: have a problem with their weird montages like when they're doing the the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody thing yeah. and they're doing all like the uh, the reviews yeah. and stuff like that, it would have it would have it would have. Um, I always use this word. No, I can't think of it. It would have been better for the film if while they were doing that, they had shown performances, yeah, instead of just this black screen with all these words flying across it.
0: You know, you know what reminds me? This movie reminds me of in a lot of ways. It's like when you think back on a fond memory, and all of a sudden you add a little extra to it, and you glamor it up a little more, and you do it a little more. Every time you retell it, right. it becomes fucking way bigger. All of a sudden, you caught eight touchdowns in the fucking winning game, right? Yeah, it kind of thing. So that's this movie. It's the wishful thinking, looking backwards kind of thing. Like it, you know it. I it, don't
1: think it's wishful thinking, looking backwards. <laughs> I think it's
0: it overglamorized it. I think I, I think it popped it up to be you know certain things to be more than they were. No, no. That's the
1: thing about—the thing about 70s music stars is that no matter the story that you're telling, it doesn't matter what band it is, Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or Queen or whoever, the story that you're telling is nowhere as fucking weird or out there as what they're really living. So wishful thinking, that is not even—saying that this movie is wishful thinking— is like saying, "It's like saying Back to the Future was a bad movie."
0: Okay, fine. Okay. It, it's it just, it's just not I it's not real. I it's not anywhere in the real fine. realm. It, it, there's fine. Then it's 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 looking back and putting a filter on a lot of shit. Exactly. There we go.
1: So and and that's what Queen now Queen, like we weren't that bad. It was okay. You know? No, because they don't they're not filtering that stuff out. They're filtering out all the nonsense. Yeah. So I mean they, they in in terms of Bohemian Rhapsody I mean they're they're literally putting on the fucking screen this song sucks. Yeah. So I mean saying it's not that bad.
0: Eh,
1: eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrong analogy, but there's, I, I there's
0: plenty of things that people say were bad. I understand in, what you're saying. When but it came out, and, and you know, people love it. it they're critics. Critics, yeah, yeah. People didn't like the Big Lebowski when it first came out, and all of a sudden, it's a fucking one of the biggest cult hits of ever of all time. And I'm still not a fan of it. I love it. So just watched the other night. I discovered two new things this time. I watched it. I don't I, care. Every time I watch it, I discover something new. Every fucking time. Awesome.
1: The dude Leave Bites. that for the. Leave that for fucking solo. <laughs> Uh, that's just a movie. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm just not. I'm not like like you guys with the the dude abides thing. It's you'll it's love not me,
0: Goodman man. Goodman gets funnier every time I watch it. Yeah,
1: I just I don't. It's not that's not my cup of tea. I got you. Anyways, um, but when when they're doing this whole thing with the movie in and of itself, as they are telling the story, and like you said, with a filter, yeah. okay, they they do have a filter going on because. It, and look, this movie, this movie has problems.
0: Plays is fucking too safe.
1: Yes, and but that's the that's the Queen thing. Okay, that's Roger Taylor and Brian May. They did it on purpose because they wanted to tell a story about the band and not just Freddie Mercury. And the problem is, is that this movie is it contradicts itself. Yeah. It wants to tell the story of the band. But then it's also trying to tell the story of Freddie
0: Mercury. But it's always dealing with the band dealing with Freddie Mercury. Exactly. It's the whole fucking movie.
1: Yeah, and and that's the contradiction, is that they didn't want to tell all of Freddie uh, this Freddie Mercury story, but they they wanted to tell a band story and all of it in in ninety percent of the movie is just about Freddie Mercury. Yeah. You know, and, and not that that's a bad thing, because fucking Remy Melick was
0: amazing oh, as yeah. Freddie Mercury. He, I mean, by the end of the film, he had morphed into Freddie in my, in front of my eyes.
1: Yeah, but the the problems that exist with this film, in terms of the way things were done, is I mean, they left out two major things. Yeah. One of them was Flash Gordon, because that's, in my opinion, that's considered a comeback album. Yeah. And secondly, they left out. Um, uh, I can't think of the song now, uh, Under Pressure.
0: Well, also, um, uh, Stone Cold Crazy.
1: Well, yeah, but Under Pressure more than anything else. They played
0: but, Under Pressure, but the, they didn't go
1: into the backstory like you mentioned. To yeah, me it, and that's in, in the backstory to Under Pressure yeah. is just as fucking un- great as... Could have been a movie itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, so technically we should have got a movie called Under Pressure instead of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I
1: mean, that would have been better if, if they had um, so... The song was played live at every Queen concert from 81 until the end of their touring career in 86. Uh, here, here, here. Queen had been working on a song called Field Like, but that was not satisfied with the result. David Bowie had originally come to Mountain Studios to sing backups on another vocal of a Queen song called Cool Cap, but his vocals were removed from the final song because he was not satisfied. <coughs> Once he got there, they worked together for a while and wrote the song, which became Under Pressure which evolved from a jam session that Bowie had with the band at Queen's studio, Montreux, Switzerland. I heard it was, I, I heard it was Monaco, but okay, Montreux, Switzerland. Uh, it was credited as being co-written by the five musicians. The scat singing that dominates much of the song is the evidence of the jam sessions as improvisation. However, according to Deacon, the song's primary musical writer was Freddie Mercury, though all contributed to the arrangement, Brian May recalled, uh it was hard because you had four precocious boys and david who was precocious enough for all of us he took over the song lyrically looking back it's a great song but it should have been mixed differently freddie and david had a fierce battle over that it's a significant song um because of david and its lyrical content uh the earlier embryonic version of the song without Bowie, feel like is widely available in bootleg form and was written by roger taylor um John Deacon said that David Bowie created the baseline. In more recent interviews, Brian May and Roger Taylor credited the bass riff to Deacon. Bowie on his website said that the baseline was already written before he was involved. Taylor, in an interview for the BBC documentary Queen, The Days of Our Lives, stated that Deacon did indeed create the baseline stating that all through the sessions in the studio, he had been playing the riff over and over again, which is what the story I told you was. He would just just sit there and play this and annoy the shit out of everybody. Hmm. Um, He claims that when the band returned from dinner, Deacon forgot the riff, but Taylor was able to remember it. May clarified um, that it was actually Bowie, not Taylor, who inadvertently changed the riff. The riff began as Deaky began playing six notes the same, then one note a fourth down dun-dun, dun 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 right? Yeah. After the dinner break, Bowie corrected it and it went dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> right? But that wasn't the only thing. It was, there was also that snap, right? Yeah, the, yeah. And the other story that I heard was they were playing that and Bowie came in and started snapping. Bowie or Freddie Mercury came in and started snapping his fingers. And like one of them said, under pressure, you know, we're all living, we're all under pressure, right? Yeah. To write this song. And that's and it just came <laughs> out like that.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> And it's an amazing song. Obviously, you know, uh, Vanilla Ice redid it, but...
0: Yeah, and they gave him a lot of shit for for using that, even though no one gave MC Hammer shit for... Oh, yeah, they did. Can't touch this. I, I'll i tell you what. They, they, I heard a little bit, but then all of a sudden, when, when Vanilla Ice came out with his shit, it, the focus all went to this white dude using a fucking queen beat uh, rhythm. Yeah, so <clears throat> when when... Okay, so...
1: The scene where Freddie goes to Capitol Radio and he's talking with DJ Kenny Everett. Yeah. The one thing that they didn't really lock in on was the fact that Kenny Everett and Freddie Mercury were having a relationship at that time, and he was keeping it undercover. And even though though Bohemian Rhapsody had just started to be released at that time, um, then they go on a world tour. And that's when Freddie begins an affair with this guy Paul Prenter, who's a piece of shit. Yeah. And then Mary. And the interesting thing about this Mary character is that she had been in Freddie's life almost from the beginning. You know, from the beginning of Queen.
0: They make it look like it's this mysterious meeting, like like almost like the Penny character in Almost Famous. Well, no, I mean it's pretty much he met her at one of the Smile functions. And
1: they had been inseparable, like literally. Even though she was married and or had boyfriends or whatever, they were literally inseparable. She she had control of his estate. Yeah, when he died.
0: Yeah, his ashes and everything. Yeah.
1: So you know that's that's the way he wanted it because he trusted her one hundred percent. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool. The problem is, is that you have this Paul Prenter guy who, uh, obviously, they they did that whole foreshadowing thing. You are going to regret this. Blah yeah. blah blah. Right. Yep and then and then from there what are you doing
0: i'm reading about the queen i'm i'm looking up their movie soundtrack stuff Ah. where yeah
1: so uh the band's success continues to the early 80s but tensions arise between the members over the direction of their music and a change in freddie's attitude in 81 after a lavish party in freddie's home he falls in love with jim hutton and they shortly part ways, Jim telling Freddie to look for him when he learns to like himself. Uh, the band's press conference to promote their 1982 album Hot Space is hijacked by the press, who bombard Freddie with questions on his personal life and sexuality. Freddie's relationship with his bandmate Sours when he announces that he signed a $4 million deal with CBS Records to go solo, where he moves to Munich in '84 to, f- to work on Mr. Bad Guy and engage in nonstop gay orgies with Paul. One night, a married and pregnant Mary pays him a visit and urges him to return to the band as they have been offered a spot in Bob Geldof's benefit concert Live Aid at Wembley Stadium. However, here's the problem with this whole thing right here, okay? First and foremost, the band didn't break up. Yeah. Secondly, all of the band members were at one point considering leaving from ni- between 1975 and 1980, every one of those guys said I quit. And then they all do each do a solo and every one of them did a solo album. So, again, this is this is the writers taking liberties. Exactly, yeah. a lot of liberties with the fact that I mean Freddie did have an attitude, and he did whole lavish parties and stuff like that. Yeah. But he wasn't the only one. They made it. They made it look like the guys in Queen were these you know straight laced. Yeah, and
0: he, and he was the <laughs> one loose cannon. Yeah.
1: And, yeah, but here's the other thing. There was quite a lot of reference to Roger Taylor and Freddie Mercury having a relationship. Uh-huh. If you did, you notice any of that in the movie? No, you didn't notice that at all. The way that they looked at each other when Freddie bought his house, and the way that they were standing close, and the awkwardness between Roger Taylor and Freddie wanting to kiss him, and all this other stuff.
0: I, I yeah, I, I noticed a little something. I just thought it was you know it it was they were close, but I, I didn't think too deeply into it. Yeah. So they left out the entire Flash Gordon
1: thing which like I said in my opinion is their their actual comeback album where they were doing where they were it was something that was unexpected of them. Yeah. You know, and and Love It or Leave It. I love the album it doesn't matter. The uh
0: They didn't even touch on them uh, playing in apartheid time uh, South Africa when everyone else was telling them not to play there. Yep, they never touched on that and uh
1: Bob Geldor's benefit concert at Live Aid. Yeah. Everything that happened up to that when, when it was going on. Yeah. Like the movie opens with Freddie Mercury getting up from his bed and it, coughing. Yeah. And then going and then later on in the movie he ends up at Hutton's house. Yeah. That never happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What happened was they had been on tour for months on end. Yeah. And got the call and said, Hey, you know, we're doing live aid. Let's can we, you know, can we do something with you guys? And we're having all these bands play. So, upon discovering that Paul withheld the news from him, uh, Freddie severs ties with him in retaliation. Paul goes public. Um, most of that is true. With the outbreak of AIDS, Freddie secretly has himself medically checked and discovers that he's infected with the disease. But according to all possible reports, uh, Freddie was never was never diagnosed with AIDS until
0: 1987. Yeah, I read that shit after we saw the movie, and and you know what? That that changed. I tr- look, I, I try to take, you know, with these movies, I always t- um, want to, you know, realize that, hey, this isn't all f- just straight up fact, you know, because it's Hollywood and right. there's going to be. But the problem is, is that that was fucking blatantly just flipped around to fit into the narrative. And it pissed me off. Well, hold
1: on a second. He was publicly diagnosed in
0: 1987. Who's to say that that actually never happened? We don't know. He didn't. He. Well, you say publicly, but he didn't announce to the world until the day before he died that he had AIDS.
1: Yeah, but everybody knew he had AIDS
0: for four years prior to that. Well, it was all
1: speculation. It wasn't speculation. There, there, it was. There were. It was. It was a confirmed. I'll go off of
0: you saying it because I didn't pay attention to that at the time it was happening. It was a confirmed rumor.
1: That's that's basically what it was. But even then, at when when you're a gay guy in the 80s, yeah. you're going to get checked. So who's to say that he didn't get checked? Now, he, they might have not told him he had AIDS, but that he had a, like HIV or whatever they call it yeah. at that point in time, pre-AIDS.
0: It just bugged me. <laughs> it bugged me that they used him, his coming out as being HIV positive to the band right before the concert just as a motivator for them to fucking rock it. It, it just, that bugged me. That fucking bothered me. Why? Because it, it it's that that cheap, that cheap uh, plot device you know that's used as a uh, as it's a trope but yeah. so what it, it's just it, it it just moves the story forward it doesn't it, i because now because if they're going to change that that means i can't take anything in this movie seriously but you can't take anything in this movie seriously because it's a hollywood
1: story of a fucking band that is telling them what the story is
0: yeah so i don't i don't take the movie seriously anymore. so so so
1: any movie any movie that says, based on a true story, do you take seriously? No. Then w- why is this any different?
0: Because that It just... There's certain times where it bugs me. And, and with this incident, it bugs me. I don't like them using that as his coming out with, with it, AIDS as a, you know, the motivator for the end of the film. Does it, it affect you in any way, really? As a fan of the movie. So, I mean... It doesn't really bother you that much? When we're talking about it. Otherwise, it, I'm fine. I mean, it just... You got to remember dude, I'm not sitting there fucking you you think I'm sitting at home dwelling on this shit? I'm not. I didn't I didn't say that. It, Joe. It just, what I it's said just, was I, I just I, I asked you a simple question
1: was why does it bother you for 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 a fucking 2 hour movie when it, it just moves the story
0: because forward? Because if it if it's one, it's one thing if it's just little things here and there, but when it's something that big to me it's a big thing. But
1: it, but it doesn't bother you on any other thing that's based on a true story.
0: No, like okay, Lone Survivor. The fact that when he gets rescued at the end by this big attack on the village that that he's hiding in. Then when that never happened in real life, that bothered me. and I remember mentioning it on the podcast. I know, but I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why? Why does it bother you that
1: they would do this when you know it's Hollywood?
0: Because I, I, you, I think it's because I had a um, when we first watched the movie, I was taking more. It was I was taking it more seriously than I should have.
1: See, that's why I stopped taking going to the movies so seriously anymore. I go to the movies now. Uh, this happened. Uh. Last year, this happened sometime last year where I was just, I was like, I'm sick and tired of going to a fucking weekly movie because it's, it's the same. It's the same. It's uh. the same. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going, I'm, I'm not going in to see the movie as a critic. Yeah. I'm not going in to see the movie to bash on the movie. I'm not going to see the movie to, uh, to affect a review or anything yeah. else like that. I'm going to go see this movie and I'm going to enjoy the fucking movie, you know? And, and then afterwards I'll reflect on it and we'll go from there. And that's, I, I had made this, I, I made a conscious decision mm-hmm. that from this point on, I when I go see a movie, I'm going to see the movie to enjoy the movie as a fan of movies yeah, and not as a critic or not as a reviewer yeah. because it's affecting me to the point where I'm getting depressed <laughs> and I fucking hated it I, yeah. and I got to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then... So all, all the bad shit happened so you after want, that. You,
0: so you're saying you do <laughs> want to go see Transformers 6. Yes.
1: So <laughs> all, the, all the bad shit that happened in my life after that, I, I, it, it never affected me when I went to go see movies with the exception of like one or two this year because uh-huh. I just didn't want to see the fucking movie. But I am um, genuinely finding myself getting excited over, like Overlord's coming out this week, right? Yes. I'm actually excited about that movie. Yeah. I don't know why. But, uh, like, I'm. The not,
0: trailer's good. It doesn't give away too much. No,
1: it has nothing to do with that. Uh, I'm, for you, probably, but not mm. me. Um, yeah, the trailer is good. You're right. It doesn't give away too much. But I don't know why I'm excited for it. it has, but it has nothing to do with those elements.
0: I think it's different than what we normally see. Yeah, that. I, mean,
1: I think it has also to do with World War II.
0: Uh
1: huh. <clears throat> and it's got a little bit of Castle Wolfenstein thrown in yes, there. Yes, definitely. You know, so uh, I'm. I, I, and Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. There's there's this overall feeling that they're trying to string together all these independent things to create this over this Cloverfield universe. Yeah, and uh, you know, like the Cloverfield paradox <laughs> movie opened right. up everything, right? Yeah. So, and and the same thing happened with me with Halloween. You know, I genuinely got excited for it because you know it's it's not it's it's a movie that I want to yeah. see. Um, the same with like uh, Wreck It Ralph. Uh-huh. Like I, I really kinda want to see that fucking movie. <laughs> and and Bohemian Rhapsody was another one that we had talked about that like yeah. yes, I want to see this because, because I'm I'm emotionally attached to this band through my mother.
0: Yeah. Well I'll tell you what, look, I, I definitely have a lot of problems with this movie, but this movie's still so well shot and acted that I still give the movie a thumbs up. I this movie's entertaining. I walked out of the movie feeling energized. Yeah. More appreciative of life. Yeah. After seeing
1: this. I, yeah. And, and again, Remy Malik, everybody's like, hey, Remy Malik should win an Oscar and all this. There are far better performances out there this year mm-hmm. than this one. But this one is right there at the top. Top five. Yeah. This year. Um, Oscar winning?
0: Uh, well, let's just see. Maybe. Let's see how the year ends up. Yeah. But, out.
1: I mean, th- we we, like... I still think that Josh Brolin should win an Oscar for for portrayal of Thanos. You know, because bad. he wasn't an over the top fucking, it's you know, very calm. megalomaniac yeah. type of guy. Yeah. Uh type of bad guy and and then what other movies did we s- Well, I have a list. <laughs> <laughs> uh not that, not peppermint. Um uh, new no.
0: No, Jason Statham oh, um, for the Meg,
1: the the guy uh, in Black Klansman. Yeah, the main
0: character, um, main actor. Yeah, I can't remember his I, name. I can't, He he but plays, Even Adam Driver was really he, good. In he that plays movie. Ricky Jarrett on the show Ballers on HBO. Yeah, and um, he. Uh,
1: I, I think that you uh, and McGregor should also be up for it for Christopher Robin. Um, maybe, but uh, not that one. <laughs> oh, Sicario too. Um, again, Josh Brolin was in that one. Yeah. Jurassic World, sure, yeah. Jurassic World for best picture, yeah. <laughs> Action point for best picture, no, not like Life of the Party. A Quiet Place, <laughs> um, that movie is much better than this movie, yeah. And and even though we we disagreed on the movie in and of itself, uh, it's still a really good movie. Uh, God, there was some turds this year. Gringo, Gringo, fucking disappointment. Deethweesh. Okay. Uh, Black Panther. Th- there's another one right there, um, the dude that played Black Panther.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I almost said Chewy Tell <laughs> <laughs> No. Chadwick Boseman. There we go. And then, um, well, I we did see freeze. Lady Bird,
1: but I don't think. Oh, um, what's her name? Uh, Margot Robbie? No, Just played her mother. Yes. Janice, um, Janice, t- uh, Allison Janney. Allison Janney for I, Tonya, if she doesn't get a fucking <laughs> she nomination. She won, she won. If she doesn't get a nomination for an Oscar...
0: She won. She won the uh, Best Supporting Actress Oscar for it. That, we, did that come out last year? Yeah, it came out at the end of last year. Well, we saw it at the beginning of this year. She won, dude. Yeah. Huh. Okay, well yeah. then... Allison Janney is an Oscar winner now.
1: Yeah, so there we go. Yeah. I, I I I picked that one, <laughs> didn't I?
0: Yeah, no, there, there, was some good, yeah, there, <laughs> there was some good performances
1: this year. But um, I, I think because you have two Marvel, well, you have three Marvel movies. Oh,
0: shit, I forgot about this because we didn't see it in theaters. Um, Tony Collette for Hereditary. She's fucking. You saw it. Amazing. I, I just. Leading in theaters Like I And like I said, first fifteen <laughs> minutes. I'm already like, why the fuck hasn't she won an Oscar yet?
1: Did you? I I totally forgot. Didn't the daughter in Hereditary play the daughter in that got burned to death in fucking Game of Thrones? Wasn't that her?
0: No, that wasn't her. It wasn't because the girl that plays the daughter in Hereditary, she has a very weird look to her. There's something creepy about her. She looks almost like she's been molded out of clay. Like, it's fucking weird um, how how creepy she looks. Yeah, see her face? Millie Shapiro. Yeah, it's almost like she's got... Yeah, I can't... It's hard for me to describe how she looks. She's 15 years old. Yeah. And she's good in the movie. She plays a very good character, um, you know. But yeah, um, but the way they made her look in Hereditary, dude. You know, like, see right there, she doesn't look that bad, but... um, She's got Rachel Dratch face. It almost looks like um, what's that condition where your face droops? Um, I don't remember what it's called. Rachel Dratch face. Is that what it's called? Okay.
1: okay? Yeah, that's what it's called. I don't fucking after, know. After after the Saturday Night Live actress Rachel Dratch.
0: I don't know.
1: <laughs> God damn it. Uh, yeah,
0: she hasn't been acting for too long.
1: Yeah, she was in splitting. She's in splitting. She's in a new movie that's coming out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She's. She does. Um. She has some sort of condition. Yeah. Uh.
0: Like you know, it's like almost like you know, like you say, if you have Down syndrome, you'd have that one, you know, missing chromosome or something like that. It's like she has something like that. Almost, I, I, it's hard to put a finger on what why she looks the way she looks. But whatever, she's hey, she's on the big screen, man. Yeah, good for her, absolutely. So yeah, I, th- I definitely Tony Collette, man. I um, she should be out there for Best Actress. Um, you know, based on the movies I've seen so far this year. Uh, I think yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, um, you know what? When it all boils down to it, because um, I've told people that I've given rides to, um, you know, uh, about Bohemian Raps, I say, look, I got problems with the movie, but it's still entertaining as hell. It's worth seeing, especially if you're a Queen fan. Um, it, the movie feels like you're going through the same safe, predictable, greatest hits kind of thing, right? Yeah. To a point. And I say, look, you know, like think when you think about someone's greatest hits album, you know that there's going to be th- some things missing off of it and then especially all the deeper stuff that's on their albums you you know you know you, it's not going to be on there so that's how this movie is it doesn't delve deeply enough into anything you know other than what's already pretty much known um you know at face value so um but you know what still go see it um you know because like i said it's it's fucking entertaining man I, it was really and that that whole li- um live aid thing at the end was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal um, I watched a making of on the uh, on the film, and apparently they spent months going over and over the footage of that concert, so that um, <coughs> Malik and all the rest of uh, the bandmates um, did everything exactly scene for scene mimicry uh, um, of the of the concert um, for it. Did you know that the dude that plays Deacon is played by Joseph Mazzello, who was a uh, young Tim from Jurassic Park. Hmm. Um, I remember his name because I uh, he also popped up on an episode of um, or a few episodes of uh, oh my god damn it it was a uh, uh, oh o- Ozark Ozark with uh, Jason Bateman I think or no it wasn't Ozark shit it, it o- doesn't matter anyway it was on a sh- season of a show I think it, it could have been justified I think it was justified so anyway I had to I had to know I had to I had to come to my own conclusion so all right yep there's little Tim. It mm-hmm. was in
1: G.I. Joe Retaliation. It's <laughs> all you need to know.
0: Hey, man. Justified. All right. They, I, guess, yeah, I saved myself there. All right. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I like Bohemian Rhapsody. You like Bohemian Rhapsody. But I, it would have been cool to see uh, Baron Cohen's uh, version, you know, to see. Yeah, he wanted to do like an R, hard R. <laughs> he wanted to do a Bruno version. Yeah, that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> all right. So, uh, dude, when it comes to movie news, man, I there's... I only thing I saw that was even worth mentioning is the Secret Life of Pets 2 um, trailer. I, at first, I, I wasn't even going to click on it. And then I saw that um, Patton Oswalt is doing the voice instead of Louis C.K. for obvious reasons. And um, what I find funny is that the, the well the trailer, holy shit. I mean, the trailer's better than I thought it was going to be. Because I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have much interest until I watched the trailer. And then all of a sudden, I um, was like, okay, all right. We might go see this shit. Of all the movie
1: news in the last two weeks, this is what you came up with The Secret Life of Pets 2.
0: Yes. I, you know what? I, I know this sounds counterproductive, man, but I just, most of the news that's out there, I just don't give a shit about it. A lot of it just feels like a filler. Hi, I'm home. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, Maxie, let's say we go for a walk.
1: Ah, I gotta admit, this is nice. I don't uh, wanna go to uh, the vet! Uh, the vet? No! No, let's no, go, no! Buddy. You tricked me! Whew. First time
0: here? Uh, yeah. Oh, Dr. Francis is the best veterinarian in the business. You're gonna love him. He specializes in behavioral disorders.
1: But I don't have a behavioral disorder, I... I, I th- yeah,
0: I'm fine, too. <laughs> it's my human that's nuts. I mean, you know, I, I bring her a dead bird, she throws it out. <laughs> I bring her a dead mouse right in the garbage. It's nothing I do not got enough for you, mother! Okay. I run, and I run, and I run, and I run,
1: and I get out, and I've gone Nowhere! Nowhere! My owner always says, you're such a good dog, and I feel like a good dog, but what if deep down I'm
0: a bad dog? What if I'm a bad dog? (laughs) We
1: start fires. (laughs) That was weird. Oh, sister, it's going to get way weirder.
0: (laughs) And then Tiffany Haddish ruins it with her voice at the end of the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have an unhealthy. You're not
1: the only one. I read something about Tiffany Haddish, but Yeah. Christ, move forward.
0: <laughs> she, cuz she's popping up at everything right again,
1: now. Again. Get over it and deal with it. She's the new hotness.
0: Dude, I forgot that she was in this until she fucking popped up at the end of the trailer again. All right. So, anyway, um it, it looks that I mean It's f- it's not
1: her fault that she gets parts like this. Yeah. Because it's it's Hollywood. I mean, they're, they're typecasting her because Absolutely. she's the crazy woman.
0: Yeah. I'm crazy. I am outrageous. I'm outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you in real life she's like cool as fucking whatever, you know, and then, but yeah, instead, she's like Leslie Jones, right, on, uh, on, in front of the camera. She has to act a certain fucking way. Yeah. It's, it, I'm outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> I was boning my girlfriend. God damn it, dude, that's, that never gets old.
1: Did you And then Bigfoot came along and then she said no.
0: And I was really sad. There it <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's better in Spanish.
0: Did you do that intentionally again or was it accidental?
1: That was accidental, but okay. it's still better in Spanish.
0: Alright, y'all. I'm out of here. In three, two. One,
1: out, out <laughs> ah. Isn't
0: God. that isn't that Tiffany Haddish? No, no, that's. I don't even think she's been around for that long. I you know. Watch you look at her bio. She's probably forty five and shit. <laughs> but yeah, she's
1: she's not a spring chicken.
0: Yeah, I um, but yeah, I, I don't think I've. Uh, I before this last year or so, I haven't. I've never seen her on anything that I can recall, and if I have, I didn't. Re- I didn't remember. Her. Yeah, she's uh, that old. She's my age. So, yep. all right, Gosh, she's almost the same age as my fucking ex. Um, yeah. All right, so seventy nine. So yeah, she's like thirty nine, thirty eight. Yeah, she was in Keanu. <laughs> That's why I forgot her because she was in fucking Keanu. <laughs> oh, a lot of TV shit. Saturday Live, Drunk History. She's outrageous. So yeah, next one I will be, uh, we will be seeing is going to be Overlord, right? And we'll let y'all know how uh, zombalicious it is. <clears throat> all right. Okay. So uh, yes, uh, I am Joe Spiegel, and you are. You are what, why are you French all of a sudden? I know I'm not. The, the, I'm the, no, you had to say French, and then all of a sudden I'd start. No, you were literally saying I am Joe Spiegel. <laughs> like what the fuck is this French? I'm meant thing? to be German. I was trying to be German, but I was it, trying to. I be. was trying to be German, but I I I somehow morphed into the the French. The, how you say yes? Is oui, oui. Bien, uh-huh. Uh-huh. My buddy Scott
1: is French and German. Okay, so he's from both the motherland and the fatherland.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he's he's part invader, part invaded. So he's a conqueror and a passive. So so really, yeah. So is that constant inner turmoil? I don't know. Inner struggle.
1: I don't know. The evil I, white guy and I, then the... I, I don't know how many times you're going to come up with the because he's this and this after I had said German, you know, fatherland and motherland. Is it...
0: Do you, do you wave the white flag or the swastika?
1: Schwarz- you're just going to continue on, aren't you? Yes. All right, I'm done. I'm good. Way to kill the joke. Good job, old dick. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs>